Welcome to Boutique Builders. Rounding out this first series of our dedicated series is Jacob Mitchell, who runs Antipodes Partners. Having heard from an array of people on culture, client demands, expectation and headaches, Jacob has a unique take in that he speaks about launching his venture through a relatively new means, that being the multi-boutique method. In this discussion, Jacob looks at what spurred him one in the first place, going from being purely a fund manager to also a small business manager, and what advice he would offer to anyone else who was thinking of making the leap. As I said, Jacob marks the final interview in this six-part series, but feel free to revisit any from this run, and maybe they might be some inspiration or words of warning for anyone currently weighing up the idea of going it alone. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this interview with Jacob. What led you to wanting to branch out on your own? Was there a certain desire, an entrepreneurial spirit? Was there a reason you wanted to launch your own independent investment group? Yeah, great, great question, Chris. I mean, in terms of, you know, going out and, you know, leaving the comfort of a larger firm and uh, and starting from scratch with a blank sheet of paper, you know, it does, it, it does take some, uh, <laughs> that leap, if you like, the leap of, uh, of faith, and I suppose I was somewhat ready. I think I'd, I'd had 14 years at my prior firm, and um, you know, had, had sort of got to the point where I was deputy CIO, and was looking, I think, to uh, finesse, I suppose, different parts of the, the process. And um, I'd been very comfortable in a let's call it high conviction value approach to investing. Um, and uh, I was ready to sort of think about, you know, maybe ways to just um, finesse the, the process. And ultimately, you know, sometimes these things are hard, easier with a, a blank sheet of paper. And I was fortunate to get some support from uh, Pinnacle. And, uh, and so we started in early 2015 and uh, really, you know, value-based investing, what we call pragmatic value, but with a real focus on making sure the team is very much aligned with the final portfolio and uh, the best ideas end up in the final portfolio. Uh, yeah. In terms of then developing, because that comes on nicely to a question we've got a little bit further down, but in terms of setting up your strategy, I mean, yeah. most of the boutiques I've spoken to, they launch, and it is that sort of let's not run before we can walk, we'll do one flagship strategy. How much had you got that in your mind already, what you wanted to do, and how also were you planning to make it different? Yeah, so like the real focus of Antipodes is, is global equities. And we started uh, essentially with, you know, three strategies, which was a global long fund, a global long short fund with a, you know, a large amount of overlap in the, in the long portfolios. Um, and then a Asia, Asia strategy. And look, that, that really has been the focus. I mean, we've extended beyond that, but we're now, you know, just over eight years old. Um, and we've built, I think, you know, an investment platform that is sort of somewhat differentiated in that, um, you know, I'm supported by six uh, sector PMs. And those sector PMs are, are running, you know, they're running the, um, they have analysts who are, we're essentially working on ideas and they're managing that that team of analysts and covering you know decent sized areas of the market and and that's a real that's a key point you know we 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 see benefits in being relatively broad in coverage and not falling into the trap of having too many silos um, where you may end up with this sort of what we call ah uh, you know uh, competition for capital you know you get 
team of analysts all trying to get an idea into the portfolio, you may not necessarily get a great outcome. But if we have, you know, five teams who are focused on the bottom up and a, and a quantum macro team that's focused on risk risk management, uh, the you know we almost we essentially get a pre-ranked you know, best ideas portfolio coming from each of the teams. And as lead PM, I then sort of mold that into the final portfolio. But we think that sort of ranking of the opportunity set, that's key to any investment process. And if you get that step right, um, the best ideas do end up in the final portfolio. So I think that is a, you know, a key point of difference. I think there's a fundamental point that you talked about there that kept coming up and it's come up in all these conversations is the people, the, the, the types of analysts, the types of people you surround yourself with. Can we talk about that? When you launched, how many people did you either already have with you or did you want to come with you? And how have you gone about recruitment since then? Yeah, look, we, you know, we started with, uh, started with nine relatively senior investors and uh, we, we didn't have a lot of AUM, but we, you know, we managed in the early years um, to to build to the point where we could start reinvesting in the team, and uh, and since then, you know, we've sort of added more in the, you know, to the experience that we started with, we've added more, let's call it youthful enthusiasm. Sure. <laughs> that's probably, and uh, and that's good, and and having diversity in each of those six key teams. Um, yeah, diversity in, in, in lots of different ways, diversity of experience, um, skill set, um, you know, life experience, background. So, you know, we avoid, I think, the pitfalls of, you know, just creating a, an, an echo chamber, you know, and, um, you know, we do want to have inside the process every idea to be scrutinized. And, you know, we're not looking for consensus. We're actually looking to make the best decisions. And I think, you know, diversity really gives you, I think, uh, you know, it you know, tries to, I think, offset some of the, the, the biases, especially if, you know, you've been investing for a while, you, you'll develop your own biases. And I think having some younger, you know, younger members in the team to challenge those biases is very, uh, and not just younger members, all members of the team to challenge the biases in a in a sector PM and a lead PM as we bring that portfolio together. That's really really healthy. So that's that's kind of what we look for in in our in all team members. Um, another way of putting it is a a really good balance between uh, not only the you know intellectual horsepower, but also you know what you what we call the rational quotient. So um, and uh, <laughs> And a little bit of EQ. Uh, some, sometimes that's a, it's 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 hard uh, in you know investment management, but um, it's 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 very useful to have the IQ, uh, the RQ, and the EQ. Uh, you know, if you're genuinely trying to build a a performance culture, but one that is, you know, also collaborative. Um, and uh, look, we think that's the best way to minimise the. The unhelpful biases that creep into any process. The graduate class have had quite a disrupted period of studying and now going into the working world. How are you finding that? Are you having to find a new way of managing in terms of working from home or flexible working or or even the guidance you can offer younger people? That's that's you know great 
great question in terms of you know the work environment and expectations um, around work are, are constantly you know, constantly changing. And, you know, the, the pandemic in some ways probably accelerated some of those changes. Um, look, we put a big focus on um, making sure we get the balance right. Um, you know, work-life balance, it's, it's important. We have, you know, whilst we have three offices, you know, Sydney, London, and, uh, and Toronto, the majority of our team sits in Sydney and, you know, they're doing global equities. So they're working in all sorts of time zones and, you know, that has challenges. So we, we are very, you know, we're quite flexible as an employer um, and in make sure, you know, we get that, that balance right. So, you know, our, our staff, they're highly motivated. Like it's, it's not a, where the benefits of, I suppose, being in the office are for um, mentoring, it's much easier. I think, um, you know, real-time decision-making is easier in, you know, when you have people close around. It's, but it's a balance. You also need to have time to do what we describe as the slow thinking. You know, um, we pride ourselves on the industry outlook and, you know, getting roughly right on a long-term view. And that, you know, that ultimately helps us make the right decision around the, you know, the individual companies and investment cases. So that industry view, you know, you do need time to reflect. You need time to speak to the right people you know, industry participants, experts, um, you know, sell side analysts, and you know that 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 can that's a that can happen anywhere, right? You don't you don't need to be in the office to do that, and sometimes it's actually more productive not to be in the office. So it's it's all about the balance. And, well, that's a great answer. I think they covered it very comprehensively. So thank you. Shifting slightly, I appreciate Jacob. I'm moving around quite a bit, but one thing that's also jumped out at me because speaking to, I mean, our core audience is European fund selectors. And this is always stuck in my mind when they look at somebody who transitions from, uh, I mean, the example they gave me is when you go from inside of JP Morgan to try and start yourself, you go from worrying about whether you've got enough research coverage to worry if you can cover the rent for your property. And it goes from being a, a fund manager to a business manager. How did you find that transition? Yeah, look, that's, um, it's, it's always... Yeah, it's a, it's a it's easier, I suppose, when you're partnering with a um, a multi affiliate firm like Pinnacle, whose bread and butter business is supporting you know managers going through the startup at or at each phase of their evolution, and the startup phase is is the most you know risky, most challenging in terms of balancing. The needs, you know, the needs of the business and the needs of the portfolio. So I was fortunate that, you know, I was in a safe set of hands from, a, you know, from from that perspective. Um, we made a decision relatively early on, also to appoint a CEO. So I'm a, C, a CIO. I'm very much focused on the investment process and supported by a CEO who's managing. Let's call it the operations, and uh, and is is ultimately managing that relationship with Pinnacle to make sure we get the the most out of that uh, support that they give us right across right across the business. Um, and look, it's you know from a, a CIO perspective, given the structure that we've put in place um, and the portfolio coming together, you know, with building blocks from each of the sector teams with a, with a very senior sector PM. Um, you know, it's. I think it, it 
it also lends itself to repeatability and you know resilience no again that's excellent i think that's another way of approaching things so what i'm finding from this is there are many ways of interpreting that because i think one of one thing that i haven't had and you're the first person is who has split that sort of the business function and the investment function and I've spoken to a couple of people who've tried to take both on and then they've had to do it much further down the line. So was that something you decided from the outset was going to make more sense to have a CEO so you could focus on more investment-led stuff? Yeah, and look, it was sort of based on, um, you know, observations of of other firms and, um, you know, seeing how, you know, it's easily, how easily you can be distracted, you know, when you, when you're trying to do both roles and it's very hard to do both roles well. I mean, they're, they're actually quite sort of in their own way, different and demanding. Um, and, um, and we all, you know, we all have our limits and, um, you know, if I manage the investment side well, and, um, you know, then, you know, the business side, um, deserves, I think the focus of, uh, you know, of a, you know, deserves a separate focus. Because you've got to do both well ultimately in this business to to succeed. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's two more questions really, Jacob, because I appreciate the time and I appreciate you taking the time. But they're more a little bit more conceptual, but a little bit more personal, perhaps. But if you could do it over again, if you could, if you rewound the clock to 2015 and you were relaunching Antipodes, is there anything you would want to know before you started, or anything you'd want to do differently? From a, you know, it's 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 a always like a question which. Um, you know, when you think, you know, reflect on, you know, investing and in, you know, investing and building a boutique is, you know, you're investing in in a in a business that's owned, you know, by by the team, and you know that's, and then it, you know those owners are also investors, right? So <laughs> we're always thinking about, you know, how 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 do we maximize the you know the the effectiveness of what we've what we've built um, and what we're building. And um, and I you know at the same time we're looking at the, always looking at markets thinking about markets and how industries and companies are evolving and probably the you know the, the most challenging thing in a way or one of the lessons we probably you know we we've learnt and you know would have been uh, and a tough lesson really is just how the market can you know in in different regimes. Um, and the U.S., I, I just think about the U.S., where Antipodes has always invested and always looked for great companies, um, but you know we we found it to hard to be let's call it um, overweight that market. And you know along the eight the journey of the eight last eight years, we've sort of thought, well, is that some sort of bias? So you know, are we anchoring to, um, or is it just a reflection of the opportunity set and the fact that on average over that AE period, US stocks have been more expensive than, you know, comparable stocks in other parts of the world. And look, I think, I think there's been, and the answer is, it's a bit of both. Um, I think there's been times where we've probably been a bit stubborn and should have been more open to paying a slight, you know, a slightly higher multiple maybe for uh, in the US, just, you know, just because you know, you're getting probably a better than average business. And then on other times, we, I think we've been justified. The premium's just been too high. Um, but, you know, I wish I could have taken some of the stubbornness out of, 
out of that. Um, it's always easy in hindsight, and that's that's the tough thing, you know, trying to work out what's what's bias and you know what's just the fact that that's our philosophy and that's our process and that's where we ended up. I always think that's a relatively unkind question because people, I mean, ultimately we're, we're speaking to people who've had success in a in a way because we're talking to them and you're still active you still generate money you still generate returns so i feel bad getting you to go back and go but what did you what else could you have done because it seems like you're just picking holes after a while but i suppose to finish on a, on a kinder note then jacob and it is a much more open piece is, is what is the best bit about running your own boutique what's the what's the the bit that either gets you up in the morning or or really energizes you about being in control of a, a company like antipodes look i think that you know the best bit is you know working with you know, working with people who are like-minded, um, you know, being able to really build on a, I think, a, a philosophy that is, um, as we describe it, pragmatic value. I mean, we really are looking for mispriced opportunities, um, you know, companies that are mispriced versus their underlying, you know, business resilience versus their, you know, the underlying growth profile. And that's always exciting. And, you know, it attracts people who are intellectually curious and, and also performance oriented. And, yeah, and the world is your oyster. And that's, I, I don't know, I mean, for me, that's just, there's, there's, not, there's not many jobs where you get to do something that's always changing, yeah, where the challenge is always changing. So it's, it's the activity and the, the people that that activity attracts. And then, you know, doing it or building a, a framework which allows us to actually do that also in a, in a collaborative manner. Uh, and, you know, if we, if ultimately that should deliver good or attractive, let's call it risk-adjusted returns to our clients, um, and it's energising when you do that. And look, you know, if, if it's also... We do it in a way where the process or philosophy, the process is, 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 is let's call it, you know, repeatable and, and ultimately evolves, then it can out, outlast the founders, you know, and that's, for me, that would be, you know, the defining success.